morning and at night. Fine and very dry today. Maximum temperature will be about 15 degrees. At the moment, we're in single figures. Nine degrees at the observatory and 39% relative humidity, which is pretty low. Red fire danger warning, cold weather warning, strong monsoon signal. And here's the half-hour news with Samantha Butler. Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives have introduced a resolution to impeach President Trump with a single charge of incitement of insurrection for his role in the attack on the Capitol last week. The Democrats are also demanding that the Vice President Mike Pence invoke the 25th Amendment of the Constitution to remove Mr. Trump from office. The Speaker Nancy Pelosi said President Trump represented an imminent threat to the country and must be removed immediately, a sentiment echoed by the Democratic Congresswoman Madeleine Dean. We know that America is shocked and dismayed by what has happened, that the president of the United States incited insurrection. By that, I mean incited a storming and a takeover, attempted takeover of the Capitol. We must act with urgency. I call upon the Senate Republicans to say, absolutely, we have a constitutional duty here. We must complete this. He should be tried and convicted. The FBI has warned that armed protests are being planned across the United States ahead of the inauguration of Joe Biden as president on January the 20th. A huge security operation is being put into place to prevent any repeat of last week's assault on Congress by Trump supporters. The president of South Africa, Cyril Ramaphosa, has announced its land borders will be closed to most travellers until February the 15th in an effort to slow the spread of the coronavirus. He was speaking in a televised address. It is vital that we each become even more cautious about the places that we go to and the number of people that we interact with. We must not let up on any of the health protocols that we've been talking about since March of last year and the health protocols that we've been observing. He said there'd been nearly 190,000 infections since New Year's Day and more than 15,000 people had been admitted to hospital. The World Health Organization has warned that population or herd immunity to the coronavirus won't be achieved this year, despite the rollout of mass vaccination programs. Many rich countries have begun inoculation programs, but most poorer ones have not. The organization's chief scientist said people needed to continue measures such as physical distancing, hand washing and mask wearing. The Trump administration is placing Cuba back on an official list of state sponsors of terrorism. The U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo accused the government in Havana of supporting international terror and subverting U.S. justice. Here's the BBC's Will Grant. Removing Cuba from the list of state sponsors of terrorism was an important plank of President Obama's policy of normalisation with the island. So in many ways it comes as little surprise that in its final days the Trump administration has sought to undo that policy. It complicates matters for the incoming Biden administration to return to better ties with Cuba. The basis on which the Secretary of State will likely claim Cuba should be on the list is for the refusal to extradite the leadership of the Colombian guerrilla group, the ELN, who were in Havana for peace talks which collapsed. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today, Ada Wong. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. And Happy New Year. 
And today we're talking about the new legal year and the latest on relations between the United States, China and Taiwan. The new Chief Justice, Andrew Chung, has condemned unfounded attacks on judges, saying an independent and impartial judiciary must be maintained in Hong Kong. In his first speech delivered as the head of the judiciary, marking the opening of the legal year, he said judges must not be subject to improper pressure or influence when discharging their duties, and he rejected the idea of setting out a panel to review sentencing guidelines saying this role is best served by the courts themselves. The Secretary for Justice, Theresa Cheng, said doxing activities towards judges and other people involved in the administration of justice was on the rise and must be curtailed. What do you think recent events say about the current state and attitudes to the judiciary here and what's likely to happen in the coming legal year? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email bankchat at rthk.hk or you can call us. And our telephone number is 233 and after 9.15, as I say, we're discussing the latest in US-Taiwan relations. Joining us uh, first, we have with us now Suya Diva, Associate Professor in City University's School of Law. Professor Diva, good morning to you. Good morning to you. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. So we, 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 we had speeches by, um, you know, all the the top people in the legal world uh, in, in Hong Kong, the new Chief Justice, the new Secretary for Justice, the Bar Association, the Law Society. Um, what kind of picture do you think emerges from that? Where do you think that uh, uh, our judiciary, our legal system, stands uh, at the beginning of uh, 2021? I mean, it is very clear from the speech of new Chief Justice that uh, judicial independence, uh, he regards, is, is a fundamental uh, issue for upholding rule of law and one country, two systems in Hong Kong. And uh, if you look at the statements made by uh, the Secretary for Justice or the Hong Kong uh, Bar Association uh, chairperson, all these statements uh, kind of reassert judicial independence. At the same time, judicial independence has two aspects, external and internal element. And internally, I do not see there are any threats or significant issues, but I see that externally there will be significant challenges going forward for judicial independence in Hong Kong, in particular because of the national security law issues and the cases that will be coming before the court. So I think it will be uh, a testing time for judges, but I'm sure if judges uh, uh, uphold judicial independence both in letter and spirit, they can find principles and doctrines to, uh, to, to move ahead. Uh, when you said internal, you mean within the judiciary itself? Um, uh, because the Chief Justice also said that uh, reforms are also necessary. Um, is that how you see it? I mean, internal uh, independence means that there should not be any uh, quid pro quo because uh, there are uh, systems of appeal within the court system, right? Within the judiciary, I mean. So that there should not be any bias or any lack of objectivity internally. Uh, I think that is also very crucial. There should not be any pressure in terms of the hierarchy in judges that uh, the superior court judges are putting some kind of subtle pressure on the lower court judges. So I think that is the internal element of judicial independence. And sometimes we ignore that. So I think that is equally critical uh, to uphold independence in judiciary. I think it is it is critical to understand that no institution is perfect, so reforms can be done. But I think those reforms uh, should not be aimed to curtail judicial independence. If there are any complaints against judges, 
judiciary itself is best place to investigate those complaints. It should not be for the executive or the legislature to look at those complaints, especially in the context of Hong Kong. What's the connection between the national security legislation and threats to judicial, exterior threats to judicial independence? What are you getting at there? I mean, threats are very clear because uh, if you look at uh, last uh, several years, even before the NSL was enacted, it is very clear that uh, Chinese uh, officials and some uh, pro-establishment politicians, they are making uh, public statements in which they are, they are directly or indirectly criticizing judiciary or judges or judgments, and that is highly problematic because uh, one can critique the reasoning in decisions, and that is fine. And there are tools in which you may critique those reasonings and, and the rationale on those decisions, but you cannot attack judges. Judges may make decisions based on law, and sometimes uh, those decisions may not be in line with what I may expect, but I think that is not what we should be doing. So I think uh, the real threat is that there will be some politically sensitive cases. The Hong Kong society is highly polarized. And I think in this particular situation, it is absolutely vital that uh, the society, especially those people in Hong Kong, those who are upholding democracy, those who are for rule of law and uh, upholding the, uh, the one country, two system, they should really support the judiciary, even if certain decisions are not in line with what I'm thinking. Well... We, we know judges normally don't really explain their their decisions. Um, you know, no, that uh, is not true. Well, that is in, not publicly, true. Um, for for example, um, you know, Jimmy Lai uh, was uh, was given bail, and then he's now taken inside. And um, I mean, what what if an ordinary person, um, you know, doesn't feel doesn't feel you know at ease about um, these decisions, and he has doubts about the judiciary. This is not a complaint, but you know this is a doubt. Sure. So, uh, what what could they do? I mean, uh, the judgments uh, that that is the quality of the common law system. Judgments, uh, the, the hearings are open hearings, so you can you can go and watch uh, these uh, proceedings if you would like. At the same time, judgments are publicly available freely on the website. You can download and try to read those judgments. Or you can, you can talk to people who have read those judgments before uh, making those uh, public statements. I think that is absolutely vital. So people should be making informed comments. They should not be making comments which are uh, merely based on political opinion. I think we, we have to try to safeguard the judicial independence. Because if, if, if we lose this, then there will not be much difference left between the legal system as, as we are moving ahead between Hong Kong and mainland China. I mean, that is a key difference still uh, between the mainland Chinese system and the Hong Kong system, judicial independence. The, the NSL, of course, raises all sorts of questions. It's unprecedented in many ways uh, and unique among among our laws. Uh, I mean, uh, we had Henry Litton, I, uh, you may recall, yeah. um, sure. saying that saying things like, "No judge in Hong Kong would convict a teenager for chanting something." Uh, uh, and, and it just similar cases are now coming before the courts. And you know, I put this to him again, and he said, "Well, we'll wait and see." Um, I mean, that puts an extraordinary kind of uh, interpretive burden on the judges, doesn't it? Uh, the judges have got to 
because this is a new law and a new kind of area, the judges have got to have got to draw these lines. Uh, and I, I don't know quite what their guidelines are, or you know how they're going to how they're going to call it. It seems kind of up in the air, and it kind of seems down to the judges' almost sort of, sort of subjective interpretation. That's that must be a great uh, pressure. I mean, there is great pressure, but I mean, judges are uh, used to these pressures. Of course, national security law is, is a unique piece of legislation. It tries to marry the, the common law as well as the civil law system in, in certain ways. Uh, but at the same time, uh, national security law also makes it very clear that the rule of law shall be, shall be adhered to. It, it refers to human rights principles uh, that they should be respected. So I think the burden is on the courts to objectively unpack uh, the principle, sorry, the, the, the sections of the national security law in a way that they strike a balance. National security is, of course, a priority for any country, including for China, and I think it's a legitimate goal. But human rights are also legitimate goals. Judicial independence, rule of law is also uh, equally relevant. And I think that is where the striking the balance is, is absolutely vital. And the courts have done it in the past, not just in Hong Kong, but in other common law countries. And I'm sure uh, Hong Kong courts can also do that if we let them do it. I think that is the crucial point. So the the pro-establishment authorities as well as the uh, pro-democracy people, they should let the court do their job properly without putting them under any pressure. But uh, And if they don't, I mean, for example, you get this commentary in the People's Daily. Now, you know that the People's Daily represents the sure. centralised authority uh, in Beijing, the same people who wrote the who wrote the laws. Uh, they're not. Set, it's not like it's another pressure group or another people giving a giving their take. Sure. Um, they. It's the people who wrote the laws are saying this is what you have to do. Uh, how does um, a judge? How does a judge stand up in in a situation like that? I mean, judges don't need to stand up and react to those statements. Judges react through their reasoning and judicial decisions. But I would like to add here that the Secretary for Justice, as well as the Chief Executive of Hong Kong, as they are, they have a constitutional obligation to stand up to those statements, in my view. Uh, we have but the people, I get, I, I, yeah, I know, but the people who wrote the law say Jimmy Lai is, is evil. Uh, and he's guilty, and he's got to be... Law does not say be... that, that law is evil, right? It's a question of interpretation. Law, law does not mention any particular person, right? No, I'm it saying the people who them. wrote the law, the people who wrote the law, say that Jimmy Lai is evil. Then where do you where do you go as a judge in a situation like that? I mean, you can just simply ignore that. You have to... Because it, it is not part of the law that it, uh, Jimmy Lai or Mr. X or Miss Y is evil, right? Well, but can, can a judge to, really, really ignore that? Uh, I mean, they, they I, I, I mean, when they, we power and Taekwong power and they say that the High Court judge was wrong to have given bail to Jimmy Lai, and now it is up to the final court of appeal uh, to do the right thing. And then, you know, do we expect that the right thing has to be announced then? I mean, the right thing is not what I believe, or right thing is not what people's daily commentators believe. Right thing is what should be the interpretation of national security law in view of the basic law, as well as the ICCPR and other instruments of human rights which are applicable to Hong Kong as they are. As I mentioned, striking the balance is the key. National security is crucial. At the same time, human rights are absolutely fundamental. Rule of law is absolutely critical. And I think uh, the point I was trying to make earlier is that earlier 
there has been this saga about uh, the oath being breached by the pro-democracy legislatures others. I will argue that chief executive and the secretary for justice, they also take the oath. And they take the oath to uphold the basic law. And that basic law includes judicial independence. So it can be argued that if they do not uphold the judicial independence, they are also breaching the oath. So we cannot have double standards for breaching the oath. What about the issue of uh, doxing, which uh, Theresa Cheng raised as well? Are you are you concerned about that? Do you think that's a significant factor and a yeah, threat to Rudeville? Yeah, I think the, those threats, whether it's doxing or a threat of criminal violence, I think those those are unacceptable threats in any uh, civilized system. And I think uh, we should definitely uh, curtail those threats and, and preempt those threats in future. Where, I mean, whether they're coming from pro-establishment or the other side, it does not really matter. I think we have to treat any threats uh, in the same way. As I mentioned, we can critique reasoning, but we should not criticize judges personally or their judgments. Mm. Uh, and what about the, uh, the, the Secretary for Justice also uh, talked about the, um, uh, the selection of judges for, the, for national security uh, yeah. cases, uh, point, so saying that, this was, uh, that they were, the, the judges which weren't chosen for individual cases, that there was a slate of judges that were, that were chosen that could, could, you know, that could uh, uh, act on uh, national security cases in, in, in general. This is a point that Bernard Chan had made as well. Uh, yeah. uh, with some uh, force, uh, that these weren't sort of hand-picked per, per cases. Uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, I think that, that is a fair point, because uh, I, I don't think cases uh, should be put before uh, judges which are hand-picked uh, on, on a case-by-case basis. Rather, uh, chief executive on recommendation of chief justice can designate some judges, and I think they should then hear those cases. Uh, another thing, chief justice again should have uh, a key say in those decisions rather than a chief executive. Otherwise, judicial independence will be undermined. If, if you pick and choose your judges, I think that should not be happening. Okay, we're also joined now by Alan Lung, senior counsel, former Civic Party lawmaker. Mr. Lung, good morning to you. Thank you much indeed for, for joining us. Uh, so we had a lot of kind of takes on uh, legal issues, overviews of uh, legal issues and prospects for the uh, coming legal year uh, heard yesterday. Uh, wh- what did you make of it? What do you think are the, the, uh, the threats, the promises, uh, the outlook for the legal year? Well, uh, I perhaps could begin with an extract from the Secretary Secretary for Justice's speech. Uh, I think she said in her speech last year, she condemned the totally baseless, arbitrary, and even malicious attacks on some of our judges, urging the community to dispel such unwarranted misunderstanding by reading the court's judgments. Last year, I have witnessed multiple occasions by which similar reminders have had to be made, end quote. Now, what Theresa Chen said is, of course, uh, very correct. And in fact, her duty to help uphold, to help to uphold judicial independence and autonomy and to defend uh, our judges from uh, uh, reprehensible attacks and... and, and uh, particularly things like doxing, etc. It's a duty that is sacrosanct, and, and she should have
our judges. So it is particularly sarcastic, right, given the inaction that I have seen of her in the past year, that she actually said so in her speech yesterday. So why, why has she been so uh, silent? Well, even the chief, ex-chief justice, the last chief justice, Jeffrey Ma, had to come out and issue public statements in defense of the judiciary's independence and autonomy. May I just ask the chief, the, 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 the secretary for justice, the FJ, where she was when, when, when the chief justice, uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Ma, uh, obliged and and uh, came came out to defend the judiciary. But this is the first point that I really want to make. It, it is so hypocritical for the SJ to have said so in her speech yesterday. Now, uh, I don't know whether whether uh, I, I should carry on to uh, make observations on the new chief justices uh, or do you have some follow-up on what I just said first? Yeah, Alan, why, why, why didn't you continue with your second point? Yeah, certainly, Ada. So, I have been repeatedly asked by the media uh, and journalists uh, do I expect the new chief justice to be able to stand up to pressure from all sides, and uh, whether uh, her—I mean, I mean his uh, his uh, uh, not having mentioned uh, separation of powers uh, worries me. Now, if I may just uh, uh, make some observations on these. Now, of course, we are entitled. Uh, I mean, we in Hong Kong, and also. Uh, I think the world that uh, has dealings with Hong Kong are entitled to expect the judges to be independent, autonomous, fearless, and um, without favor beside all cases. Now, of course, that is our entitlement uh, to expect of especially the new chief justice. Not to be 
seen to be taking sides by um, making unnecessary, uninvited um, uh, 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 comments while hearing cases and in delivering judgments that they could be uh, perceived to be yellow or blue. Of course, these are not his exact words, but uh, for, for your audience, I think, I think I've made things clear. Now, it came on the same day when Judge Lin Tam Hong <laughs> excluded a solicitor and uh, also members of the public from his for the simple reason that they were wearing yellow face masks. Now, what is this message to be sent by Judge Lin Come Home to the public? Right? Is he saying by by such a, a, a an exclusion of uh, members uh, or from his court that he is sympathetic with the blues? Now, <laughs> well, why why then you exclude excluded those who, who wore a blue mask? Reminder. Am, am I right in thinking, Mr. Lung, that the that the yellow mask also had had uh, the initials um, for uh, uh, five demands, not one less? I don't know. Printed on it. That was what I read. Right? I don't. But even so, so what? So what? Is that uh, exclusion relevant to Judge Lin Come Hong's decision on the matter before him? Well, so, you, you wouldn't think way? it was appropriate for somebody to wear a political uh, T-shirt uh, in court with a political slogan on it, and that uh, that amounts to, that's what it amounts to. Well, I think that also is uh, something that the new Chief Justice, by his uh, speech, was warning his fellow judges not to do. Now, you see... Justice must not only be done, but seen to be done. Right? Uh, and why did you do things that is unnecessary for your dispensing of justice? Of course, we need no reminder about Judge Kwok in the district uh, court, uh, well, more than half a year ago, I think, uh, when he lauded a, an assailant who seriously injured uh, uh, two, I think, young uh, women in, in a uh, London War uh, um, uh, pedestrian... Yes, yeah, st stabbed them, I, I think. So, uh, yeah. so, 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 Diva, do you want to respond? Do you, do you agree? And what do you make of what the, uh, the new Chief Justice had to say? I think the advice of the nature of justice is, is correct. Judges uh, should behave uh, with decorum. They should uh, stay within the boundaries of uh, what is expected of them, and they should not make unnecessary comments or decisions which may be taken uh, as politically uh, driven. So I think I absolutely agree with that. And I think uh, it is absolutely critical also for the lawyers and barristers, uh, solicitors and barristers, to stay uh, within those uh, decorum boundaries, I mean. I think this is this is vital. This is the responsibility of all of us who are committed to one country, two system, to contribute 
to upholding judicial independence and support the judges. Um, we can talk more about, um, you know, sentencing and sentencing review after our news break. But um, um, there, there really has been a, a lot of discussion on uh, whether, I mean, depending on the news channel you read, uh, that uh, uh, the sentencing of Agnes Chow uh, for 10 months is really too long and unprecedented. And if you read the other side's uh, news channels, um, you know, they applaud this kind of decision. You know, with a society as polarized, as is, you know, how how could we, you know, make sure that judges are not really affected? I mean, they watch the news every day as well. Any quick well, comment from from Suyadeva, so, so maybe? Because I think he's yeah. going at nine. Uh, I think uh, judges are human beings. Of course, they also read newspapers and listen to the uh, television and everything. But I think by their training, they, they get used to taking on all these views, and I think they should uh, try to stay objective and focus on their application of law to the facts of the case. So I think this this is not unique to Hong Kong, I would say. In other common law jurisdictions as well, those pressures do come up. And I think judges know how to stand up to that. I think they have to just follow what they should be doing. They should be true to themselves, and they should uphold the basic law and apply the national security law in, in line with the human rights and rule of law. They should interpret it narrowly, in my view. Otherwise, the rule of law and human rights cannot be preserved in Hong Kong. And should there be a sentencing uh, panel, sentencing committee? No, I, I don't agree with that view. Uh, I think judges uh, should have some kind of internal guidelines. I think their discretion is absolutely vital, and they should be applying those on a case-by-case basis. Uh, and, of course, there is a system of appeal and review. So there are inbuilt safeguards, in my view, to, to deal with those issues. And as I mentioned, public also should behave uh, with a sense of responsibility. They should read the judgments first uh, before publicly commenting or criticizing judges for the sake of uh, anything. All right. Well, uh, Diva, thank you very much indeed for joining us, Associate Professor in City University, uh, also sometime uh, co-host uh, in this programme. Uh, Alan Long uh, will uh, stay with us. Um, if you've got any questions or comments for him, uh, call us 233-88266. Also going to be talking about US and Taiwan relations after the news. Uh, before the news, the weather, cold uh, this morning and at night, fine and very dry. Temperatures only up to 15 degrees. There's a red fire danger warning, cold weather warning, 10 degrees now. Humidity is at 32 Devastating, with infection numbers far exceeding the first wave. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Tuesday morning with Ada Wong and me, Hugh Tewerton. We're talking about the uh, new legal year, 2021, with after those uh, speeches uh, from the uh, new Chief Justice, from the Secretary for Justice, from the head of the Law Society and the uh, Bar Association. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on that, we'd love to hear from you. You can email backchat at rthk.hk or even better, uh, pick up the phone, 233-88266. We'd love to hear from you, 233-88266. Or you can comment on our Facebook page. That's Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. Later, we're also going to be talking about uh, developments uh, in uh, Taiwan uh, with David Zweig. We'd like to hear your thoughts on that as well. So we've got some emails on on uh, Taiwan. We have a number of emails uh, on uh, other issues as well. Maybe we'll, we'll let's deal with some of those uh, now uh, before we return to uh, Alan Leung. Um, so... Uh, 
Bob says, I was interested this morning to listen to your rebuttal stroke fact check of the email containing claims of voter irregularities in the US. And I would like to introduce some comments in regard to the ongoing debate with regards to the safety of the vaccines and in particular the argument they cannot be safe because their development has been rushed. What seems to be missing from this discussion is an understanding of the various hurdles that any new pharmaceutical product has to go through. First of all, as these are developed by private companies, there will have to be huge risk assessment in regards to the likelihood of the new product proving to be profitable in the market, something that can take many years, but that in this case was completely eliminated by the willingness of governments to inject capital. Second is the need to set up substantial testing, which of course requires that whatever disease is being targeted should be widely distributed. Not so easy for many new medical products, but in this case extremely easy, although the Chinese vaccines had to be tested in other countries due to the low case rate in China. And thirdly is dealing with bureaucracy, something that exists in almost every aspect of government and which can prove enormously costly and time-consuming, whether it be the approval of a new medical product or of a new aeroplane. Again, in the case of the vaccine, this did not happen because politicians made it very clear to their people that they need to put their pedal to the metal. And furthermore, in the case of the AstraZeneca vaccine, which was very well covered in a BBC Panorama programme, they already had the basic chassis of a kind of universal antiviral vaccine and were simply able to load on some specific content to make it applicable to the COVID-19 strain, again, cutting months and maybe even years off the process. So to make assumptions that just because of vaccine has been produced in a short time means it's high risk is not joining the dots but is rather jumping on the anti-vaxxer bandwagon that comes uh, from bob thank you very much indeed uh, for that uh, and uh, Mike says uh, Mike has a couple of long emails maybe the second one I'll get to a little bit later uh, but he says good morning Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard discussion January the 10th 2021 and her largest battle has been disseminating true scientific medical data with respect to the COVID-19 vaccine her comments were very interesting informative and something I thought I must share quote the COVID vaccine is effective in preventing serious health complications from COVID and even death it has not been signed scientifically established from all the trials and the studies presented to the CDC to be effective from spreading the virus from one person to another, unquote. That was a direct quote from a US congresswoman that gets better information than you or I. Uh, that's from uh, Mike. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, and uh, on uh, the uh, subject of the uh, legal year, uh, Jay says, is the judge uh, not sitting there thinking, oh, my job is on the line. I better make the right decision, otherwise I'm out of a job. That comes uh, from uh, Jay uh, and uh, our email address once again backchat at rthk uh, I've got some other comments on Facebook uh, about uh, American developments maybe we'll, we'll get to those uh, also uh, later um, uh, here's an email from uh, MT who says surely Alan Lung can see that the wearing of yellow masks with political logos in court is something that must not be tolerated and for him to claim he was not aware of the logos is self-censorship to support his own political stance that comes from uh, MT Alan Lung do you want to respond? Mr. Law? Oh, well, I, I don't think that is uh, necessary. Uh, but if I may uh, echo what uh, fell from uh, Professor Diva just before the news break, uh, uh, Professor uh, Diva said uh, judges are human, and uh, he advised uh, Hong Kongers to read judgments before passing any comments on the uh, on the judges and their judgments. I think that is very, very apt and sound advice. If I may say, uh, Ada, that uh, we cannot um, 
But what, as a society, we can uh, ensure about is that don't let the malicious attackers be not don't let their voice. I mean, the voices of malicious attackers on our judges to be the only voice. Now, judges are human, and they live amongst us, and their judgments are supposedly to reflect the social norm and how uh, the society as a whole feels about certain uh, matters. Uh, and, and of course, they, they also, I mean, the judges also have observed uh, legal principles, and they must um, uh, uh, make their decisions fearlessly and without favor. But uh, I think one um, perspective that needs to be highlighted is that judges need support from the society, and particularly they need to know what the norm, what the norms are. So if the rest of us uh, are silent and leave those malicious attackers to be the only voice that the judges can hear, then we have only ourselves to blame if uh, the judges mistook the malicious attackers as representing the grown norm of our society. Now, that will be a, a, a something that we want to avoid, you see. I just want to echo uh, the good professor and add my point to his observation. Okay, uh, let's just share one uh, more email. Uh, this is from, um, uh, sorry, uh, this is from Bowen. Uh, a regular correspondent uh, who says, Dear Backchat, of the four speeches delivered in the opening of the new legal year, the one given by the President of the Law Society causes me most concern. Of all the qualities of any lawyer that go into influencing his or her judgment on any issue, none matters more than context and balance. By skipping over the conflagrative political and legislative measures taken by the authorities over the extradition bill in 2019, which eventually triggered vandalism by protesters, disproportionate violence by the police, to be followed by some violence by the protesters, and using her broad brush to paint all Hong Kong citizens as having been slow to grasp the concept of the rule of law, Ms Pang has obviously taken an unbalanced approach to her inquiry. This pattern of selectivity goes on in her speech. She said that to prevent unreasonable attacks on judges, quote, the Law Society has taken as its first duty to clarify misunderstandings and unfair criticism at the first available opportunity, unquote. The Law Society might have done that on 7th of December last year, when the Chief Magistrate and his family received a death threat, presumably from protesters. But where was the Law Society on the arguably much more serious, because it came from a much higher source of authority, instance in which a People's Daily commentary sought to put pressure on the judiciary just days before the hearing to reverse the granting of bail to Jimmy Lai by a court of first instance judge? The job was left to be done by five council members of the Law Society to issue a statement, but merely in their individual capacities. The Law Society was conspicuously absent when its pronouncements were most needed. Ms Pang also said, contrary to opinion, 
opinions of lawyers and judges more senior than her, quote, there is no point in telling the public that they should not express their views on judgments and judgments simply based on outcome. It is only human nature. Rather, the duty rests on us as professionals to explain clearly to the public the correct legal principles and procedures, unquote. Ms. Pang has obviously forgotten or decided not to remember that there are people out there with entrenched interests and concrete political imperatives. And these are the ones who would insist on making provocative statements when a case is still before the courts, whatever Miss Pang may or more likely may not say. That comes from Bowen. Alan Lung, do you, do you agree? Are you concerned about those statements by the President of the Law Society? Oh, I agree. I agree 200%. Uh, you see, but I think it is important uh, to remind ourselves that uh, a cornerstone and very important aspect of the rule of law uh, as an institution that we we know about in Hong Kong is that uh, uh, judges are obliged and duty-bound to set out in their detailed judgments the reasons uh, and also the matters, both legal arguments, evidence, and legal principles that uh, they base their judgments on. And, and if they uh, cannot justify what they finally decided on uh, by giving us convincing and persuasive reasons, uh, then, of course, we can, we can comment. And uh, Ada must know this, that uh, uh, in, in both Hong Kong and other common law jurisdictions, there are legal academics uh, and lawyers who wrote volumes on uh, a particular judgment of the highest court of uh, their land. So this is not unknown, but regrettably, what I, 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 I can confidently say is that the, the harshest uh, comments, which I earlier in this program described as malicious attacks on the judiciary, they were made by people, I can bet you anything, who had not read the judgment because they did not think they need to because they were making political political statements and, and they wanted to read Hong Kong of the obstacles created and put in place by our judges and independent judiciary. Uh, and they are doing a political, I mean, those malicious attackers uh, simply uh, are doing a political job, right? So they did not read the judgment. <laughs> and, and, and that is why I think it is important that we remind ourselves that we only uh, uh, comment on judgments and, and the judges after we have gone through and plowed through their judgments, sentence by sentence, line by line. All right. All right. Uh, Alan, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us, the Senior Council. My pleasure, as always. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Alan Lung, and also former Civic Party uh, lawmaker. Uh, I had an email from Mark Pinkston. Mark, I can't open your emails. I don't know why. Uh, uh, it's only you. <laughs> when, I, when I try and open your emails, it says a fatal error has occurred. Um, 
class horde mappy not found. I've no idea what that means, Mark, but uh, we seem to have some problems. So I'm sorry if, if I skip your uh, your emails. That's uh, that's the uh, that's the reason. Um, thanks very much for listening. And thank you to uh, Alan Lang. Uh, we've got a, a number of emails to say on, on different topics now, and I think a caller as well. Uh, Elizabeth is on the line. Elizabeth, good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, what I'm talking about mm-hmm. is not to do with legal, I don't think. One of our or our leading supermarkets has established a new way, which I think they feel is a way to gain points or credit or whatever. The fact is that you must pre-register something on the Internet to get a certain, you know, the app. However, when you go to the store and you finish marketing and you are approaching the cashier, you have to take all of your things out of the cart as to pay. You pay. You have brought your plastic bags, all of the things which you need, to take these things out of the supermarket. After you take your credit card out or cash, you pay. Then the girl says, and where is your cell phone? At that point, you have already taken the credit card or the cash out. You're trying to pack up the whatever and leave the supermarket. I think that this is very distracting. I have already lost my cell phone because when she says it, I do try to get the cell phone out. I think that the supermarket could be helpful in having people standing by who can assist you to take these vegetables, groceries, out of to the lift, down the lift, into the car park, help you to get it to the your car, and leave the premises. Okay. This, I feel, would be uh, an added feature for customers. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, Elizabeth, so thank that you. That is all. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Yeah, anyone had that that, that experience? Um uh, give us a call, 233-88266. Uh, on uh, other issues as well today before we, we turn to Taiwan, uh, Matthew says, last Friday I asked a couple of questions regarding RTHK's policy on interviewing the 53 arrestees and didn't hear it addressed. Uh, p- apologies if I missed it. First, can you please clarify if the existing RTHK policy he mentioned on Friday is not to interview arrestees in relation to their own case or not to interview them at all on any topic? Two weeks ago you had Chu Hoi Dick on back chat when he was already facing several charges and others facing charges also regularly on RTHK. Also, are there laws restricting you from interviewing these people about their own cases or in general is this purely an RTHK editorial decision? From a listener's perspective, the problem is that the quality of the discussion on Backchat is rapidly deteriorating. A couple of years ago, political leaders from both sides regularly appeared on the programme and even executive councillors occasionally. Now we have only very peripheral players like Holok Sang and Andrew Lung dispatched to represent the pro-CCP view and with RTHK choosing to rub out the 53 arrestees we have no contemporary pro-democracy leaders in the discussion either it's a rapid slide but i guess the hosts feel it too as observations from uh matthew thank you very much indeed for that um uh, on the uh policy well well on the on the laws restricting you from interviewing these people uh the the the, the, the laws can, uh, are on uh, contempt of court, and it's basically it's a matter of judgment. Uh, it's a matter of uh, whether you think that um, somebody uh, may say something uh, inappropriate. Um, and so, it's a, it, as I say, it's a, it's a judgment call. 
based on the environment, based on the individual, based on the topic. So sometimes you think, um, yeah, that's okay. And it's all bearing in mind, of course, also that this is a this is a live radio program uh, that we don't know what people are going to say, uh, and so uh, therefore uh, sometimes uh, we feel that it would be more prudent uh, not to talk to people, and sometimes we think it's okay to talk to people. But as I say, it's not. It's not a black, clear black and white issue. The, the black and white issue is the matter of contempt or a matter of, of uh, endangering a court case. And um, we have to make a, a judgment call on it. So that's, uh, I hope, does that policy ex- explain uh, a little bit? So, um, yeah, at the moment, uh, we will not be interviewing uh, those people who are subject to um, uh, legal cases, ongoing legal uh, cases at the moment, and uh, probably not going to interview them. Uh, uh, on other issues uh, either, given the um, sensitivity as at the moment. Um, Mike says, just referring to our earlier discussion, I have a simple comment on how judges in Court of Appeal seem to run their show on their own standards. Example, the judge stops the government lawyer in the middle of the argument and states, I read your argument and don't agree. Then he, the judge, proceeds to give his own expert witness testimony. We had no chance in appeals court to call a counter-expert witness to refute what the appeals court judge said. I was told it was done all the time. Are judges to judge or are they to give expert testimony? Even when that expert testimony goes against some existing law, we the small people have little recourse in a system that is supposed to be fair and balanced. The lady holding the scales has a hole in her blindfold. Uh, that comes uh, from uh, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for that. Once again, uh, backchat at rthk.hk uh, is uh, our uh, email address. Uh, and um, uh, maybe uh, one more, couple more comments. Martin in an email says, uh, Pompeo's lifting of all restrictions on US official contacts with Taiwan is a last-ditch attempt to engineer a regional crisis to slow mainland China's peaceful rise. Both DPP and MAGA cult leaders Chai and Trump working hard to start a regional war. Meanwhile, China is looking hard for reasons not to engage in any conflict while signalling that it will defend its territorial integrity. I won't be surprised if Trump or Pompeo will pull more gasoline into the fire by unilaterally declaring Taiwan's independence within the next few days to further anger the mainland trying to force a conflict upon Beijing. Uh, Overall, it's also an attempt to deflect from America's complete failure in its COVID-19 response and the fact that the US faces its own political crisis and a deeply divided society, society that's turned the country into the divided states of America. Its MAGA cult now has at least 74 million followers who will never accept Biden as their president. That comes from uh, Martin. Martin, thank you very much indeed for that. We're joined now to talk about US and uh, Taiwan by uh, David Zweig, Director of the Transnational China Consulting Limited and Emeritus Professor in the Division of Social Science at the University of Science and Technology. Uh, Good morning to you. Good day to you. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Good evening. Uh, so, uh, good evening. Okay. Um, so, uh, we've had uh, Pompeo said they're going to lift the restrictions on, you know, government contacts with, uh, US government contacts with uh, with Taiwan. Uh, what do you make of these moves? And um, is this kind of a last fling for Pompeo and Trump? Um, yeah, well, uh, I think that the, the couple of things that your audience may want to know you know, these restrictions were imposed uh, after 1979, after the Taiwan Relations Act and normalization with China. They were tightened in 82, or, uh, yeah, tight, uh, they were reestablished in 82. Um, and then since then, they've been slow. 
kinds of things, like uh, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, uh, Azar, going to Taiwan. You've had, after the 1995-96 military crisis in the Taiwan Straits, uh, the United States and Taiwan established a dialogue, a much more um, uh, interactive dialogue on security. So these, you know, so so Pompeo's raising an issue that quietly has been going on for a long time, uh, and Beijing's accepted accepted it pretty much. So then you got to think about what was he trying to do because it doesn't really change all that much. So I thought about that and I came up with four things. One is he wants to go out with glory, right? He was the guy who did this thing for Taiwan. Wow, you know, and and if he runs for president and. 2024, he can he can use this. Ideologically, it's very comfortable for him because he hates communists and he hates quote unquote communist China. And this is another way of just sort of poking them. Uh, so that'd be the third reason he just wants to poke them. And fourth is he's really trying to tie up Biden's hands. Right now, Biden um, uh, uh, will come in, and there's this public statement about softer policy, which immediately means. And if you look at the, the responses from the mainland, immediately means that they're going to try and start putting pressure on him to take a public statement on this. So in some ways, by uh, uh, Pompeo is really trying to set the agenda of a key issue. I mean, Taiwan's a key issue and how you handle it. You know, the, the Biden administration's been trying to plot out a good strategy for how to have a good relationship with Taiwan, support the democratic process in Taiwan, and yet not get into a fight with the mainland over this, and and Pompeo's strategy is really to say, no, you can't do that. I'm going to make you have a fight. So, David, in essence... How was um, that? That was a good answer. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Ada. Great, great answer. The... Um, um, so the substance of it is um, is very little. And do you think that anything will change uh, substantively? For example, the American Institute in Taiwan, I mean, people, the American officials will still have to go through the AIT to, um, uh, to connect with Taiwan officials. Is that how it is going to play out? Right. Well, I don't want to get into the sort of the inner inconsistencies of Pompeo's um, statement, because on the one hand he says we should expand, and then on the other hand he says everything has to go through AIT. So that really won't change very much. Maybe it'll tighten up that everything will go through AIT, you know, through the American Institute in Taiwan. Um, uh, but I don't think, you know, the, the big the big risk, you know, in some ways, of course, the big risk was, as, as your uh, email uh, just before me, you know, t- to what extent are they trying to create a military crisis, and this Pompeo trying to do that, and I don't think he really wants to do that, even though the risks are there. Uh, uh, he's, I think, decided not to take a trip to Taiwan. At one point, he was talking about it, and if you read a recent Global Times, I see I did my homework to be able to do this for you guys. If you look at a recent Global Times uh, op-ed, they said that if Pompeo goes, planes will start flying over Taiwan. So I think that the, their uh, deterrence is pretty strong on Pompeo not going. Nevertheless, the uh, U.S. ambassador to the U.N., uh, her name is Kelly Kraft, she's about to go on the 13th. So there's all these informal, the informality and the informal ties will continue, um, but I don't think they're going to do anything formal like declare Taiwan independent or anything like that. And the Americans have to be really careful, you know. They're in a real 
this is not the time for America to go into a fight with China, right? You've got a president who's inactive. You've got a defense secretary who's a replacement. Um, if you go down, you know, Matt Clottinger, who was the key advisor on East Asia, National Security Council, he's re- resigned. Uh, I mean, if you go down the list, there, there's a lot of problems on the American side, and I think they just, this is not a good time. It's a good time for China <laughs> to do something, but it's certainly not a good time for America to do something. All right, some comments from uh, listeners on Facebook. TC says, say what you will about Donald Trump, but I think he may be stumbled upon the right foreign policy. Greater engagement with Taiwan is one of them. I'm acutely understand that this policy is out of American national interest, but as stated by Lord Palmerston and Henry Kissinger, in this world there's no permanent enemy nor friends, only permanent interest. Uh, Tom says, uh, Mike... Sorry. Yeah, go on. Okay. I just want to have one more mm-hmm. comment before we're finished, before you send me packing. So, so if you want to read a few more of your okay, all right. Readers, then. Go uh, ahead. Uh, Tom Tom says on Facebook, uh, Mike Pompeo has become truly unhinged this week. Uh, he's been sending increasingly confusing tweets, exactly each thirty minutes, and Q anon conspiracy theory crazes are starting to believe these are sort of Morse code messages from divine leader Donald Trump. He just tweeted he's going to Belgium tomorrow. I wonder what that means. We can all breathe a sigh of relief on January the twenty. Uh, first uh yeah is it yeah what i wanted to say was yeah one of the the messages that one of the things i've been picking up uh which concerns me a little bit is you know one is how the how is biden going to respond and what are the expectations on the chinese side about Mm. how biden should respond and if you look at a recent article in the south china morning post right even more i've been doing my homework um, a recent article in the South China Morning Post, many of my, my buddies who are mainland foreign policy uh, spokespeople, uh, Wang Yong at Beida and uh, who else, um, a whole bunch of people uh, that are pretty mild, uh, Zhu Fang and Nanda, um, uh, they're all pretty mild and they're saying, oh, everybody will wait, Biden will come in, you know, then we'll talk about it, and then Biden will back off, right? And Global Times is very hard putting, pushing very hard saying, you know, that, that, that we expect, you know, to push Biden uh, to overthrow the, to, the, the, this decision. And so the, they, they have this expectation that Biden's going to be willing to do that. And I'm not sure he's going to be willing to do that. Right. Again, this reflects the changed environment. Uh, the fact that I think Biden recognizes or sort of believes that Taiwan deserves more support and that the more that China is bellicose and threatens Taiwan, the more the Americans are going to stand behind Taiwan now, uh, whereas in the past they, they were more willing to back down. I think that that's something that Beijing really has to understand. Um, my friends, uh, soft line, they're, they're all liberals. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I don't want to get them in trouble, but they're all pretty, um, uh, pretty liberal guys, and, and uh, I'd like to have heard what some of the hardliners were saying. I sent an email message to the South China Morning Post person who wrote the article, and I said, go talk to the hardliners. Don't don't quote the softies to me, because um, that's really important. We really need to know what people in, um, in the, the more hardline are saying. But, 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 but are they hanging on? But, but is Beijing hanging on to see what, what Biden's like? Sure. There's no doubt. That's mm. one of the reasons why they're not going to do anything because they're going to want to see what happens. But if they go into that with the expectation, my point here, 
being long-winded. Uh, my ex my point was if they go in with the expectation that Biden's going to back off on this, that I think they're mm. mistaken. I think that if they leave Biden alone, Biden will make a low key. That's what they're going to get. The continued interaction, the interactions will continue. Um, maybe there'll be, you know, not so visible things that maybe could have been a, the Pompeo and, and Trump might have done, which might have been a little bit more visible. They won't do that. But my suspicion is um, that they're not going to back off on increased interaction with Taiwan and supporting Taiwan in that way. Okay. Um, and uh, so there's, it's still down the road. The confrontation ain't done. You know, this is not going to be a soft American. You know, you talked about this many times, and we've talked about this is not going to be a very, you know, pro-Beijing or soft uh, American government coming in uh, in terms of its dealings with China. They're they're going to they're coming in with a you know with force in their own views uh, and determined to try and challenge China where they can or where they feel that they need to. And I think Taiwan is a place where they feel that they do have an obligation to, to uh, uh, do some good things or protect the, the people of Taiwan. That's okay. what they feel. Well, David Zweig, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us once again. Good evening to you, Director of the Trans China, Transnational China Consulting Limited and Emeritus Professor at the University of Science and Technology. Ada, thank you very much indeed. A guy in an email says, where is the RTHK news report on any speech by the chairman of the Bar Association at the opening of the legal year? Your report on the CJ speech... Uh, is any form of pressure prescribed or just undue or improper pressure? Uh, question mark. That's from Guy. Uh, that's it from us. Uh, back at 8.30 tomorrow with the weather now cold this morning and at night. Fine and very dry. Temperatures today up to about 15 degrees. Fine and dry with cold mornings tomorrow. Uh, there's a strong monsoon signal, a cold weather warning and a red fire danger warning. 10 Celsius now. Relative humidity is at 32%. The Community Care Fund has launched the Living Subsidy Program for eligible non-public housing and non-CSSA low-income households to relieve their financial pressure. Applications are being handled in phases. One-person households can submit applications from now until the 31st of May. Old applicant households should reply to confirm eligibility after receiving letters. For details, please visit the Community Care Fund website or call 2180-6666. The news with Samantha Butler. Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives have introduced a resolution to impeach President Trump with a single charge of incitement of insurrection for his role in the attack on the Capitol last week. The Democrats are also demanding that the Vice President Mike Pence invoke the 25th Amendment of the Constitution to remove Mr. Trump from office. The FBI has warned that armed protests are being planned across the United States ahead of the inauguration of Joe Biden as president on January the 20th. A huge security operation is being put into place to prevent any repeat of last week's assault on Congress by Trump supporters. And the World Health Organization has warned that population or herd immunity to the coronavirus won't be achieved this year, despite the rollout of mass vaccination programs. Many rich countries have begun inoculation programs, but most poorer ones have not. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. And good morning.